0: You are listening to LEC Online Church, a ministry of Lake Erie Church in Madison, Ohio. We are a multicultural, multi-generational Pentecostal church. For more information, please visit our website at lakeeriechurch.com. Now, we hope you enjoy today's message. I hope that as we are going through the book of Corinthians this summer, For those of you that are visiting us today, we've been doing this now throughout the summer. We are are spending the whole time looking at the church at Corinth and accepting that there's things that Paul was saying to this church and to its people that have a direct correlation to Lake Erie Church and who we are and what we are. We talked about several questions that were going to be the foundation. And those questions basically centered around this idea that people will people love Jesus more because they know us and they see the life that we're living in our relationship with Jesus? Or will people be less likely to love Jesus? because of what they have seen in us, because of the confusion that they might see in us. And today's message is a perfect example of Paul trying to help that church at Corinth understand that you have more than your personal rights at stake. You are, in fact, living, visible demonstrations to an unbelieving world of what it looks like when somebody is fully devoted to the Lord Jesus. And I I hope that we're getting that point. I'm, I'm learning as I've been studying and preparing these messages how strongly Paul felt that we needed to take more seriously the relationship that we have to the unbelieving world. I was sitting at a table this week with a group of pastors and we were talking about This idea of mobilizing our people to evangelize the lost world. And I know for some of you it is completely frightening. You think Billy Walter was scared walking up on this stage to talk to you, most of whom he knows you well. Think about talking to somebody you've never met before about Jesus. When I was in college, we we used to go on what we called PFC invasions. Uh, These were trips weekend trips into communities and we were taught to go door to door and knock on the door and to a strange person your first words were something like this if you were to die tonight why would God let you go to heaven? Most of the time the door got slammed in your face and I've always thought Yes, maybe there's some return from that kind of cold call evangelism. But I think the kind of evangelism that God wants to do at Lake Erie is the kind of evangelism that Jesus described to the man who was in the tombs delivered from evil spirits. He said to Jesus, I want to go, I want to travel with you. And Jesus said, I don't want you to do that. I want you to go back home to the people that know you and I want you to tell them what the Lord has done for you. I think that if we live that kind of life in front of people that know us and we have the opportunity to share with them, express to them, this is what Jesus means to me. It has a powerful impact because of the relationship that we have with each other. And I just want to encourage you. And I'll be talking with you more about this in a couple of weeks. I want to encourage you to spend more time thinking about how can I be a living example to people in my life who don't know Jesus? How can I be that living example? How can I sense that opening we talked about many times here in our church? The opening that sometimes God gives us to be able to uh, talk to those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the question from the passage this morning. How do you manage the gray areas in your life? How do you manage the gray areas? Now, what I mean by a gray area is those places where the Bible is not as specific as you might want it to be about what you're trying to decide. So let me give you a couple examples, and everybody just hold on real tight. Don't lose your faith. Number one, is it a sin to smoke? Is it a sin to smoke? I get that question a lot. People ask me that question. Is it a sin to smoke? I don't know if it's a sin to smoke. The Bible doesn't even talk about smoking specifically. Here's what I will tell you. It's a bad habit. You're 30 times more likely to get lung cancer than I am because I don't smoke. But I don't know if it's, it's one of those gray areas in the scripture. What about, what about playing cards? I grew up in a home where my mother would have beat you with a logging chain if you brought a set of playing cards in the house. I'm not kidding you. One time my friend came to spend the night with me and he brought cards in the house. I thought my mother was going to have a stroke. She threw those cards off the back deck of our house. They didn't even belong to me. Here's another one. I get this I get this question all the time. Is it wrong to play the lottery? Long to, wrong to play I, 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 People say at me all the time Pastor should, you know, should, is it wrong for me to play the lottery We talked about this at lunch a couple of days ago With some of our people here in the church Now I don't play the lottery I just think it's a bad waste of money I don't think it's good stewardship of your money But I, the Bible doesn't say Whether it's wrong to play the lottery it's, it's one of those things that's a gray area Now by the way I did read this morning That somebody in Illinois won 1.337 billion dollars last night Just let that sink in just a second. One of the ladies in the church came to me a while back and she said, "Uh, I I bought a lottery ticket. I hope that's not going to be a problem. I said, not a problem for me. She said, but if I win, I promise you I'm going to give all the money to the church. I said, now let's be real. I love you. But if you win, you're not going to give. You'll be generous. I know you will. But you're not going to give all that money to the church. Somebody else said to me a few weeks ago because I was telling a story about a church nearby here that had a member that was doing a scratch off card and they won $3 million and they took the cash, which is a little over $1.5. And they wrote their church a tithe check for $150,000 and it was exactly what the church needed to finish out their building program. And I was telling that story and the guy said, well, why don't you just invite all of our people to buy scratch-off cards? We'll pay the debt of the church off. I trust you. If you won the scratch-off card, you'd pay your tithes. I get that. I understand that. Here's the point. Christians in every century have wrestled with the places in their life where there's gray area. They've all, we've always had those places where the Bible is not as specific as we would wish that it would be. Now, I know I've got your attention because you're trying to figure out where I'm going next. But I'm pretty sure, because I know most of you, I'm pretty sure there's not many of us in this room that have much experience with meat sacrificed to idols. That's what this passage was that Marva read this morning. Paul is dealing in the Corinthian church with a gray area. They've written him a letter saying we don't know what to do here. We're a divided church over this issue. And so therefore we're asking for guidance and Paul is going to try to help them to navigate that. And you might think, well, I meat sacrificed to idols. What has that got to do with Lake Erie Church? I'm telling you, there's something deeper here. And we need to pay attention to it because it's very profoundly important to how we live out our life every day in front of unbelievers. By the way, meat is good. I get all the meat I can. I like to eat meat. Now, I know there are some of you that are vegetarians, and I feel sorry for you. But in the first century when this letter was written, this was a really big deal. When you look in the New Testament at the letters that Paul wrote, two of his letters were specifically about eating habits. These Jewish believers and these Gentile believers were struggling to figure out how they were going to manage this gray area. Just to give you some context, questions that they were asking throughout the New Testament were questions like, can Christians eat meat? Could Christians eat meat that the Old Testament law prohibited as unclean? What about Christians, Jewish Christians, eating meals with Gentile Christians? They were asking, could Christians eat food that had been sacrificed to an idol? Could they do it if the meal was in a pagan temple? What if the meat that is in question was sold in the meat market and not in the temple? What if you ate the meat privately in your home? And they were wrestling with these kind of questions. Now, just to give a little context, in Corinth, in the time that Paul is writing this letter... You had these pagan temples everywhere and animals were sacrificed to these idol gods. And then after the sacrifice, the meat was either given to the priest who offered the sacrifice or the meat was sold in the market or in the temple and people could buy that meat, take it home with them, prepare it and eat it for a meal. And there were two different Two different convictions in the church at Corinth about this practice. And Paul addresses both of them. If you noticed in the reading, he addressed both of them. The first conviction was that an idol is not a God. It's just an idol. And we know there's only one God. And so it doesn't matter how many idols you set up. You can sacrifice anything you want, but it means nothing. And therefore, meat or food that might have been offered to a fake God is not a problem. Eat it in your good conscience if you want to. There is no problem. He says you're not going to get closer to God by what you eat or not eat. That's what Paul believed. There were other people who had come out of pagan worship in these temples... Who felt very strongly that if you ate meat that had been sacrificed to an idol, you were in fact participating on some level with paganism? Now, all of these people love Jesus. All of these people are members of the church. All of them are trying to work out their salvation, but they're in a place where there's a gray area and they don't know how they're supposed to handle that. For some people, it was very comfortable. They could eat the meat that was sacrificed to idols. They had no problem. For others, it was a real issue. And they struggled that their brothers and their sisters were doing this because it was a conviction that you should not eat this meat. Now you go back in the Old Testament and you learn that the Jewish law did not in of itself forbid expressly meat that was offered to an idol. So there was no Jewish law that specifically said you can't do that. The Old Testament does not expressly forbid meat that was offered to an idol. And in Paul's reasoning, he suggests that these idols don't mean anything. And so he's saying it's not a problem for me. But here's what Paul's concern is. More than the meat Paul's concern is, what is this doing to the fellowship and the relationship that we have with one another? And that's why he says so strongly at the end of the passage, if eating meat causes me to offend my brother, I will not eat meat anymore. It's a very strong statement. But what it is, is it's pointing out this fact that Paul is more concerned about what's going to happen to our fellowship and our relationship and specifically our witness to an unbelieving world. That's more important than my liberty, Paul said, to be able to feel free that I can eat anything that I want. Because I want people to know Jesus more than I want my own way. I want people to know Christ more than I want to be free to make my own choices. I gave my life to Jesus. I surrendered myself to him. I want him to work through my life. So whatever that means, whatever sacrifices I make for that cause is worth it to me. The challenge in a modern culture like the one that you and I live in is that we are obsessed with our rights. We are obsessed that we get to do what we want to do and nobody can tell us what to do. Some of us are so spiritually arrogant about things like this that we're like the little boy whose mother said, you're going to sit down. He wouldn't sit down. She said, you better sit down. If you don't sit down, I'm going to punish you. And he said, I'll sit down, but I'm standing up on the inside. We are obsessed with saying, I get to do what I want to do. Remember last week that Paul said, you may have the liberty to do it. You may have the freedom to do it, but it may not be the best thing for you. And it's this idea of understanding our relationship one to another. Paul is very specific about our relationship to those who might be weaker because in verse 8 he says, look at the screen, be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge. Remember, that's a throwback to a couple of weeks ago when they were saying that this man could live among them in open sin and they were so superiorly knowledgeable that they could condone it. Paul's still making fun of that. He said, if others see you with your superior knowledge. Eating in a temple with an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their own conscience by eating food that's offered? In other words, they see you do They say, well, if Dustin Vores can do that, I guess it's all right. And instead of following Jesus, they're following Dustin. Because of your spirit, superior knowledge, a weaker brother for whom Christ died would be destroyed. Now notice something here because this is very, very strong and I want you to see it. He says... When you sin against another believer by encouraging them to do something that they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. If my behavior, if my life is lived in a way that causes you to stumble, Paul says, I'm sinning against Christ. This this obligation that I have as a representative of Jesus in an unbelieving world is bigger than some of you think. It's more than just joining the church. It's more than just coming and participating. It's about walking out your life every day in a world and having people say, that must be what it's like to be a Christian. Or have people to say, well, I don't want to be a Christian if they're Christians. I don't want to follow Jesus if that's what it is. Have you ever noticed sometimes people are like that? You almost want to say, please don't tell anybody you know Jesus. Please don't tell anybody you go to my church. Because their behavior brings a reproach on the name of Jesus. And Paul says, if you do that, You're sinning against Christ. And then he goes on to say, if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will not eat meat again as long as I live. So I want to navigate this very thorny issue today with two statements. Here's the first one. In in all things, we must keep the cross of Jesus front and center. In everything that we do, we must keep the cross of Jesus front and center. Every decision that we make, every choice that we give ourselves to, we must decide whether or not it keeps the cross of Jesus in the front. Because if this is about me, if this is about what I am, it will never be enough. But if in some way my life can point people to Jesus. If in some way my life can cause you to love Jesus more. If in some way my life can cause you to get nearer to Jesus. That's what he's called me to be. It's what he wants me to do. The centrality of our fellowship in this room and online with our our people that watch us online. The centrality of our fellowship is Jesus We don't all dress the same. We don't all talk the same. We don't all like the same things. There literally are people in this church that I love supremely that root for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And there's two Sundays in every year that it's rough. It's rough. We don't all enjoy the same thing. We don't all eat the same foods. We don't all enjoy the same entertainment. But the centrality of our fellowship is not our personal preferences. It is the cross. And it is Jesus who makes us one. A couple of weeks ago Pastor Dustin was encouraging us and he was reading from the book of Revelation and he, if I remember correctly he was reading the passage in which John said every tribe, every nation bowing before Jesus. You know what that means? There are going to be people there that never spoke an English word in their life. There are going to be people there whose skin color, whose customs, whose habits are not at all like the customs that we have in Northeast Ohio. And yet the centrality of Jesus makes us one family. It makes us one body. Our kids just got back from Ecuador. They've been down there and and Pastor Dustin's been telling me, you know the other night they ate something that none of you probably have ever eaten or probably wanted to eat. But it was a delicacy in that community. In fact, Dustin told me the missionary said they spent a lot of money to make this meal for you. Now, there's nobody in our church going out and buying that kind of meat to prepare. But it was important because in that custom, that's a really big deal. In the same way a porterhouse steak would be a big deal in America. But those same people love Jesus. And Jesus loves them. And we have fellowship with them. Because Jesus is the Savior of all of our lives. I've thought a great deal about this over the past number of weeks as I've prepared for today and i thought about the fact that our salvation your salvation, my salvation is really the work of divine involvement talking about what God did and human responsibility. It's about what God does in my life it's about what God has done in my spirit and it's about what I do with my life in response to what God has done. God marshaled the very best that heaven had. Everything that he had. And he put Jesus on the cross. And I accepted that sacrifice. I asked for the forgiveness of sins. He forgave me, but he didn't stop there. He constantly continues to work in my life because he is not finished. And I'm responsible to live out this salvation with my choices and my decisions in a way that causes God to be thankful that he saved me because I am his representatives. Paul said, be careful when you make your choices. Whatever your choices are, they may be your personal preferences. You may have a a conviction that's different than mine about that particular thing. But be careful in making your choices that your witness of Jesus to unbelievers... It's not compromised Don't say things Don't do things that would create Hindrances For people to come to Jesus I've said this before in another Different kind of way but When you go out Of your church And you talk In a negative way to people Outside the church About the church You make it hard for this church to take the gospel to that person. It's it's just something you have to consciously be aware of. That the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Is our responsibility to prevent any hindrance. That would keep Jesus from being presented in a way. That would cause someone to follow Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is the verse I was talking about a moment ago. He says, you say I am allowed to do anything, but everything is not good for you. And even though I am allowed to do everything, I must not be slave to anything. He's going to repeat it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. He says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you, he says. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but everything is not beneficial. Notice this. Do not be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Just because it's allowed doesn't mean that it's good for me or others. And I want to say this as strongly as I can. And you won't misunderstand, hopefully, My rights to do what I want to do are not greater than my obligation to build up the faith of my brother and my sister. I'll say that again. My rights to do what I want to do with my life are not greater than my responsibility and obligation to build up the faith of another brother and another sister. Here's the second statement Our fellowship as believers must be seasoned with grace and sensitivity Our fellowship with believers must be seasoned with grace and sensitivity It's so easy to judge people, isn't it? Is it? Easy to judge You take a quick look at somebody and you decide immediately what they are And you don't know their story you don't know where they've been. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know why they behave the way that they do. I mean every day in our preschool back here our directors and teachers deal with children coming out of backgrounds and homes and we, we we know why they're acting the way that they are primarily because of what they're exposed to at home. And there must be a commitment of grace and sensitivity. And Paul talks about this in saying that And concerning the eating of meat, he said, if I know that this is a problem for somebody. You know, sometimes you do things and you don't know. I mean, you don't know that if you put on a Cleveland jersey, it's going to make Channing fall out. You don't know that. Now you do. Don't bring your Cleveland paraphernalia around around, uh, Channing. It's going to be a problem for him. And (laughs) Shelly, I first met Shelly, we were, might have been the first or second date. We were talking about a third date or something like that. And she said, well, let me just just ask you a question. Is it going to be a problem for you if I root for Pittsburgh Steelers? I said, that is the most ridiculous dating question I've ever heard. Now I know why she asked it. I didn't have the knowledge then that I have now, and I know why she asked the question. If Pittsburgh falls behind, this is not even in my message notes, but if Pittsburgh falls behind in the game, she leaves the room and she don't talk to me anymore. If they're winning, it's, hey, can I get you something to drink? You need a sandwich? And if they lose, and God forbid they should lose on a bad call or a last-minute play, it's going to be a long week. <laughs> but Paul says the key to our relationship is what we know. He says, I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to be responsible for things that you don't know. That wouldn't be fair to you. But he said once you know, once you are aware that there is a problem or an issue or a potential problem, then you now become responsible. Notice the first three verses in chapter 8. He said the question keeps coming up regarding meat that was offered to an idol. So this is in response to the letter. Should you attend meals where such meat is served or not? We sometimes tend to think that we, need, that we know all we need to know to answer these kind of questions. But sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. What's he saying? He's saying sometimes your attitude is more important than your knowledge. Your tender spirit, your love for one another, your grace and sensitivity to the brothers and sisters of your fellowship. That's more important than knowing something. He said, we never really know enough until we recognize that only God knows everything. What we do know makes us accountable. You know, I think that's the reason some of you don't engage further in your fellowship with me or us. Because you don't want that next level of responsibility. You can just come to church, pay your tithes, slip out as fast as you can, and that's all you got to do, and it just kind of scratches that, you know, that conscience that you went to church today. You you don't want that closer relationship. You don't want that, that engagement with fellowship. Maybe you've been burned, and I get it. Maybe you've been hurt. We, we talk all the time in our leadership teams about church hurt, and it's inevitable that sometimes people do get hurt, and it's hard to get over when you get hurt. But when you know, when you are close, when you engage with people, then you become accountable. I am responsible. Peter says in his letter, he said, talking about pastors and shepherds, he said, They carry an extra accountability because they watch for your souls. And and I accept this. I accept that being your pastor makes me more accountable to God because I know that I have that layer of responsibility. But so do you. You sit here week after week with people and you get to know them. And the more that you get to know them, the more responsible you are. Maybe there's those moments when God prepares your heart to be able to help another brother or another sister and you have to understand that the greater law of our faith is not rules and regulations but love. The greater law, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but the greater law, Paul says, is not the rules and regulations. It's not keeping the rules. It's about loving one another and helping each other get to heaven. Maybe an easier way to say this is not enough for you to get to heaven. You've got to help other people get there with you. You've got to love people and you've got to care about them and you have to demonstrate a grace and a sensitivity to one another. You don't have to say everything you're thinking. Hello, are we on? You don't have to say everything you're thinking. Sometimes grace and sensitivity will say, I'll just keep my mouth shut. Because what I've learned in my life is once words are spoken, they don't ever come back. You don't need to give somebody a piece of your mind. You don't have enough to spare. Have you ever noticed... That some people just struggle to be graceful. They struggle to be sensitive, spiritually sensitive to the moment. And they speak words that they have not thought about. And the power of those words and what is spoken. Shelly and I were talking the other day about someone that we care deeply about. And she was reflecting to me her perception that Maybe the the reason the, the way the person is acting the way they are is that they've spent a lifetime being told they're worthless. And those words linger over that person's life. There has to be in our fellowship a grace and a sensitivity to one another so that we help each other make it to heaven. You know what I hope happens at Lake Erie Church? I hope I live long enough to see it as a reality. It's already at work. I'm not saying it's not. But I really hope that the reputation of this place becomes, if you go there, they'll help you get to heaven. They'll help you find your way through your struggles. They'll help you navigate the hard places in your life. So here's my last thought. Pastor Jerome, come on and get ready to play, please, if you will. Here's the central question of all that I've been saying today. It's this. If you and I disagree about something, and I'm speaking here now about things that the Scriptures are not clear about. I'm not talking about things that the Bible is specifically clear about. But we bump into something that we disagree about in which the scriptures are not clear. Are you able to still love me? Are you able to still grow together with me in God's love to be faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ? Are you able to demonstrate a spirit and an attitude that says, you know, you and I disagree about this. But you're my brother. You're my sister. We're all going to heaven together. We, we work our way past it. And I think that sometimes when I talk about this, people think, well, that's compromise. No, it's not. It's not compromise. I I. I I strongly push back against it. This is not compromise. We're not talking about compromise in the scriptures. We're just talking about the fact that you and I disagree. We both love the Lord. We're both following the Lord. We're both trying to do God's will. We just disagree. We cannot afford to allow that disagreement to create a division in our fellowship. We must have a sensitivity that says I want to serve the Lord with you. I want to grow up together. Now listen, Paul had a disagreement with Barnabas over John Mark. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark on the next missionary journey and Paul said we're not taking him. John Mark forsook us the first time and we're not taking him. I'm not giving him a second chance. Listen, I've met people like that. They don't give you a second chance. You mess up one time, buddy, you're off their list. Barnabas said, okay, we're going to agree that we're going to disagree about this. So let's keep our fellowship. I'll take John Mark and I'll go a different way. You pick up Silas and go your way. And let's both work for the Lord. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes the disagreement is so large that we can't get over it and we just decide, listen, we're not going to fight. We're just going to separate. Paul says this in the closing of chapter 6. He says, don't, don't forget this. You do not belong to yourself. You were bought with a high price. I want you to see something before we leave today. Today. That is so very, very important. Paul writing to the church at Philippi, he says to them in chapter 2, he says, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, he says, who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'll read it again. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what we've been talking about. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's what it says in another translation in verse 13. For God is at work within you, helping you to want to obey him. And then helping you to do what he wants that spoke to me because I think what Paul is telling the Philippian church is what he's also telling Lake Erie church this morning that God is at work in you he's giving you a strong desire to want him but it's not only that he's also helping you to do the things that he wants you to do So Nevea, in a few days, you're going to go back to school. School's about to start. What Paul's telling you is this. God is at work in your life. Causing you to want Him. But more than that, He's at work helping you to do what He wants you to be and do in your school. Some of you go to places to work where you... Have difficult working situations. Maybe it's long hours, maybe it's a bad supervisor, maybe it's it's bad working conditions. And Paul says, Listen, God's at work in you. He's at work in you to accomplish his will. Not only that, he's helping you to do and be the person that he wants you to be. It's a privilege be a part of this church it's a privilege to be your pastor it's a privilege to have friendship like we do and we can't let anything separate us we have to bind ourselves together with grace and sensitivity because the devil would love to get started some little something to break up our fellowship you know when I was a boy Teenage evangelist. I was 17 years old. I won't tell you the name of the town because they may still be this way. And because we broadcast it, it could get back to somebody. I don't want to do that either. I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody. I actually went to a church where one family sat on this side and another family sat on that side. And the ushers would ask you at the door, Williams family, Johnson family. It was a church that was divided over a situation that happened years ago and they never crossed over one of my friends went to be a pastor of that church and he busted up the two middle sections and he put a middle row of seats in there and he said now that's for the people that don't want to be on either side God help us we hope you were blessed by today's message now we invite you to visit one of our services soon for more information please visit us at lakeerichurch.com.